Part two of Part first of Trilby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Trilby by Georges Dumorier. Part first. Part two. As the creature looked round at the assembled company and flashed her big white teeth at them in an all-embracing smile of uncommon width and quite irresistible sweetness, simplicity and friendly trust, one saw at a glance that she was out of the common clever, simple, humorous, honest, brave and kind, and accustomed to be genially welcomed wherever she went then suddenly closing the door behind her dropping her smile and looking wistful and sweet with her head on one side and her arms akimbo ye're all english now aren't ye she exclaimed i heard the music and i thought i'd just come in for a bit and pass the time of day you don't mind trilby that's my name trilby o'farrell she said this in english with an accent half scotch and certain french intonations and in a voice so rich and deep and full as almost to suggest an incipient tenore robusto and one felt instinctively that it was a real pity she wasn't a boy she would have made such a jolly one we're delighted on the contrary said little billy and advanced a chair for her but she said oh don't mind me go on with the music and set herself down cross-legged on the model throne near the piano as they still looked at her curious and half embarrassed she pulled a paper parcel containing food out of one of the coat pockets and exclaimed i'll just take a bite if you don't object I'm a model, you know, and it's just rung twelve. The rest? I'm posing for Durien, the sculptor, on the next floor. I pose to him for the altogether. The altogether? asked little Billy. Yes, l'ensemble, you know, head, hands and feet, everything, especially feet. That's my foot, she said kicking off her big slipper and stretching out the limb. It's the handsomest foot in all Paris. There's only one in all Paris to match it, and here it is. And she laughed heartily, like a merry peal of bells, and stuck out the other. And in truth they were astonishingly beautiful feet, such as one only sees in pictures and statues, a true inspiration of shape and colour, all made up of delicate lengths and subtly modulated curves and noble straightness and happy little dimpled arrangements in innocent young pink and white. So that little Billy, who had the quick, prehensile, aesthetic eye, and knew by the grace of heaven what the shapes and sizes and colours of almost every bit of man woman or child should be and so seldom are was quite bewildered to find that a real bare live human foot could be such a charming object to look at and felt that such a base or pedestal 
lent quite an antique and olympian dignity to a figure that seemed just then rather grotesque in its mixed attire of military overcoat and female petticoat and nothing else poor trilby the shape of those lovely slender feet that were neither large nor small facsimiled in dusty pale plaster of paris survives on the shelves and walls of many a studio throughout the world and many a sculptor yet unborn has yet to marvel at their strange perfection in studious despair for when dame nature takes it into her head to do her very best and bestow her minutest attention on a mere detail as happens now and then once in a blue moon perhaps she makes it uphill work for poor human art to keep pace with her it is a wondrous thing the human foot like the human hand even more so perhaps but unlike the hand with which we are so familiar it is seldom a thing of beauty in civilized adults who go about in leather boots or shoes so that it is hidden away in disgrace a thing to be thrust out of sight and forgotten it can sometimes be very ugly indeed the ugliest thing there is even in the fairest and highest and most gifted of her sex and then it is of an ugliness to chill and kill romance and scatter love's young dream and almost break the heart and all for the sake of a high heel and a ridiculously pointed toe mean things at the best conversely when mother nature has taken extra pains in the building of it and proper care or happy chance has kept it free of lamentable deformations indurations and discolorations all those gruesome boot-begotten abominations which have made it so generally unpopular the sudden sight of it uncovered comes as a very rare and singularly pleasing surprise to the eye that has learned how to see nothing else that mother nature has to show not even the human face divine has more subtle power to suggest high physical distinction happy evolution and supreme development the lordship of man over beast the lordship of man over man the lordship of woman over all en voilà de l'éloquence a propos de bottes trilby had respected mother nature's special gift to herself had never worn a leather boot or shoe had always taken as much care of her feet as many a fine lady takes of her hands it was her one coquetry the only real vanity she had jacko his fiddle in one hand and his bow in the other stared at her in open-mouthed admiration and delight as she ate her sandwich of soldier's bread and fromage a la creme quite unconcerned when she had finished she licked the tips of her fingers clean of cheese and produced a small tobacco pouch from another military pocket made herself a cigarette and lit it and smoked it inhaling the smoke in large whiffs filling her lungs with it and sending it back through her nostrils with a look of great beatitude 
Svengali played Schubert's Rosamonde, and flashed a pair of languishing black eyes at her with intent to kill. But she didn't even look his way. She looked at little Billy, at Big Taffy, at the lad, at the casts and studies, at the sky, the chimney-pots over the way, the towers of Notre-Dame, just visible from where she sat. Only when he finished, she exclaimed, My eye! C'est rudement bien tapé, cette musique-là. Seulement c'est pas gay, vous savez. Comment que ça s'appelle? It is called the Rosamond of Schubert, mademoiselle, replied Svengali. I will translate. And what's that, Rosamond? said she. Rosamond was a princess of Cyprus, mademoiselle, and Cyprus is an island. Ah, and Schubert, then, where's that? Schubert is not an island, mademoiselle. Schubert was a compatriot of mine, and made music and played the piano, just like me. Ah, Schubert was a monsieur, then. Don't know him, never heard his name. That's a pity, mademoiselle. He had some talent. You like this better, perhaps. And he strummed. Monsieur les étudiants s'en vont à la chaumière pour y danser le cancan, striking wrong notes and banging out a key. A hideously grotesque performance. Yes, I like that better. It's gayer, you know. Is that also composed by a compatriot of yours? asked the lady. <laughs> Heaven forbid, mademoiselle. And the laugh was against Svengali. But the real fun of it all, if there was any, lay in the fact that she was perfectly sincere. Are you fond of music? asked little Billy. Oh, ain't I just? she replied. My father sang like a bird. He was a gentleman and a scholar, my father was. His name was Patrick Michael O'Farrell, fellow of Trinity, Cambridge. He used to sing Ben Bolt. Do you know Ben Bolt? Oh, yes, I know it well, said little Billy. It's a very pretty song. I can sing it, said Miss O'Farrell. Shall I? Oh, certainly, if you will be so kind. Miss O'Farrell threw away the end of her cigarette, put her hands on her knees as she sat cross-legged on the model throne, and sticking her elbows well out, she looked up to the ceiling with a tender, sentimental smile, and sang the touching song. Oh, don't you remember sweet Alice, Ben Bold? Sweet Alice, with hair so brown? Etc., etc. As some things are too sad and too deep for tears, so some things are too grotesque and too funny for laughter. Of such a kind was Miss O'Farrell's performance of Ben Bolt. From that capacious mouth and through that high-bridged bony nose there rolled a volume of breathy sound, not loud, but so immense that it seemed to come from all round, to be reverberated from every surface in the studio. She followed more or less the shape of the tune, going up when it rose and down when it fell, 
but with such immense intervals between the notes as were never dreamed of in any mortal melody. It was as though she could never once have deviated into tune, never once have hit upon a true note, even by a fluke. In fact, as though she was absolutely tone-deaf, and without ear, although she stuck to the time correctly enough. She finished her song amid an embarrassing silence. The audience didn't quite know whether it were meant for fun or seriously. One wondered if she were not paying out Svengali for his impertinent performance of Monsieur les étudiants. If so, it was a capital piece of impromptu tit-for-tat, admirably acted, and a very ugly gleam yellowed the tawny black of Svengali's big eyes. He was so fond of making fun of others that he particularly resented being made fun of himself, couldn't endure that anyone should ever have the laugh of him. At length, little Billy said, Thank you so much. It's a capital song. Yes, said Miss O'Farrell. It's the only song I know, unfortunately. My father used to sing it just like that when he felt jolly after hot rum and water. It used to make people cry. He used to cry over it himself. I never do. Some people think I can't sing a bit. All I can say is that I've often had to sing it six or seven times running, in lots of studios. I vary it, you know. Uh, not the words, but the tune. You must remember that I've only taken to it lately. Do you know Litov? Well, he's a great composer, and he came to Durian's the other day, and I sang Ben Bold, and what do you think he said? Why, he said, Madame Alboni couldn't go nearly so high or so low as I did, and that her voice wasn't half so big. He gave me his word of honour. He said I breathed as natural and straight as a baby, and all I want is to get my voice a little more under control. That's what he said. Keskeldi? asked Svengali, and she said it all over again to him in French, quite French-French of the most colloquial kind. Her accent was not that of the Comédie Française, nor yet that of the Faubourg Saint-Germain, nor yet that of the shop or the pavement. It was quaint and expressive, funny without being vulgar. Parpleu! He was right, Litolf, said Svengali. I assure you, mademoiselle, that I have never heard a voice that can equal yours. You have a talent quite exceptional. She blushed with pleasure, and the others thought him a beastly cad for poking fun at the poor girl in such a way, and they thought Monsieur Litolf another. She then got up and shook the crumbs of her coat and slipped her feet into Durian's slippers, saying in English, Well, I've got to go back. Life ain't all beer and skittles, and more's the pity. But what's the odds so long as you're happy? On her way out she stopped before Taffy's picture. A chiffonier with his lantern 
bending over a dust-heap. For Taffy was, or thought himself, a passionate realist in those days. He has changed, and now paints nothing but King Arthur's and Guinevere's and Lancelot's and Elaine's and floating ladies of Shallot. That chiffonier's basket isn't hitched high enough, she remarked. How could he tap his pick against the rim and make the rack fall into it if it's hitched only halfway up his back? And he's got the wrong sabots and the wrong lantern. It's all wrong. Uh, dear me, said Taffy, turning very red, you seem to know a lot about it. It's a pity you don't paint yourself. Ah, now you're cross, said Miss O'Farrell. Oh, my eye! She went to the door and paused, looking round benignly. What nice teeth you've all three got! That's because you're Englishmen, I suppose, and clean them twice a day. I do, too. Trilby O'Farrell, that's my name, 48 Rue des Pousses-Cailloux. Pose pour l'ensemble quand se l'amuse. Va-t'en-ville et fait tout ce qui concerne son état. Don't forget. Thanks all and goodbye. En voilà une originale, said Svengali. I think she's lovely, said little Billy, the young and tender. Oh heavens, what angels' feet! It makes me sick to think she sits for the figure. I'm sure she's quite a lady. And in five minutes or so, with the point of an old compass, he scratched in white on the dark red wall a three-quarter profile outline of Trilby's left foot, which was perhaps the more perfect poem of the two. Slight as it was, this little piece of impromptu etching, in its sense of beauty, in its quick seizing of a peculiar individuality, its subtle rendering of a strongly received impression, was already the work of a master. It was Trilby's foot, and nobody else's, nor could have been. And nobody else but little Billy could have drawn it in just that inspired way. Qu'est-ce que c'est, Ben Bolt? inquired Jacko. Upon which little Billy was made by Taffy to sit down to the piano and sing it. He sang it very nicely with his pleasant little throaty English baritone. It was solely in order that little Billy should have opportunities of practicing this graceful accomplishment of his, for his own and his friend's delectation, that the piano had been sent over from London, at great cost to Taffy and the lad. It had belonged to Taffy's mother, who was dead. Before he had finished the second verse, Zwengali exclaimed, Mais c'est tout à fait chantil. Allons, Jeko, chouez-nous ça. And he put his big hands on the piano, over little Billy's, pushed him off the music stool with his great gaunt body, and, sitting on it himself, he played a masterly prelude. It was impressive to hear the complicated richness and volume of the sounds he evoked after little Billy's gentle tink-a-tink. -tink. And Jekko, 
cuddling lovingly his violin and closing his upturned eyes, played that simple melody as it had probably never been played before. Such passion, such pathos, such a tone. And they turned it and twisted it, and went from one key to another, playing into each other's hands, Svengali taking the lead, and fugued and cannoned, and counterpointed, and battledored, and shuttlecocked it, high and low, soft and loud, in minor, in pizzicato, and in sordino, adagio, andante, allegretto, scherzo, and exhausted all its possibilities of beauty, till their susceptible audience of three was all but crazed with delight and wonder. And the masterful Ben Bolt, and his over-tender Alice, and his too submissive friend, and his old schoolmaster, so kind and so true, and his long-dead schoolmates, and the rustic porch and the mill, and the slab of granite so grey, and the dear little nook by the clear running brook, were all magnified into a strange, almost holy, poetic dignity, and splendour quite undreamed of by whoever wrote the words and music of that unsophisticated little song which has touched so many simple british hearts that don't know any better and among them once that of the present scribe long long ago sacre pleu il choue bien le chico eh said svengali when they had brought this wonderful double improvisation to a climax and a close c'est mon élève Je le fais chanter sur son fiolon. C'est comme si c'était moi qui chantais. Ah si j'avais pour deux sous de voix, je serais le premier chanteur du monde. I cannot sing, he continued. I will translate him into English without attempting to translate his accent, which is a mere matter of judiciously transposing P's and B's and T's and D's and F's and V's and g's and k's and turning the soft french j into sh and a pretty language into an ugly one i cannot sing myself i cannot play the violin but i can teach eh chico and i have a pupil eh chico la petite onon and here he leered all round with a leer that was not engaging the world shall hear of la petite honorine some day eh chico listen all this is how i teach la petite honorine chico play me a little accompaniment in pizzicato and he pulled out of his pocket a kind of little flexible flagellette of his own invention it seems which he screwed together and put it to his lips, and on this humble instrument he played Ben Bolt, while Jekko accompanied him, using his fiddle as a guitar, his adoring eyes fixed in reverence on his master. And it would be impossible to render in any words the deftness, the distinction, the grace, power, pathos and passion with which this truly phenomenal artist executed the poor old tuppany tune on his elastic penny whistle 
for it was little more. Such thrilling, vibrating, piercing tenderness, now loud and full, a shrill scream of anguish, now soft as a whisper, a mere melodic breath, more human almost than the human voice itself. A perfection unattainable even by Jekko, a master, on an instrument which is the acknowledged king of all. So that the tear, which had been so close to the brink of little Billy's eye while Jekko was playing, now rose and trembled under his eyelid and spilled itself down his nose, and he had to dissemble and surreptitiously mop it up with his little finger as he leaned his chin on his hand and cough a little husky, unnatural cough, pour se donner une contenance. He had never heard such music as this, never dreamed such music was possible. He was conscious, while it lasted, that he saw deeper into the beauty, the sadness of things, the very heart of them, and their pathetic evanescence, as with a new inner eye, even into eternity itself, beyond the veil, a vague cosmic vision that faded when the music was over, but left an unfading reminiscence of its having been, and a passionate desire to express the like some day through the plastic medium of his own beautiful art. When Svengali ended, he leered again on his dumbstruck audience, and said, That is how I teach La Bedite Honorine to sing. That is how I teach Jekko to play. That is how I teach Il Bel Canto. It was lost, the Bel Canto, but I found it in a dream. I and nobody else. I, Svengali, I. I, I. But that is enough of music. Let us play at something else. Let us play at this, he cried, jumping up and seizing a foil and bending it against the wall. Come along, little Billy, and I will show you something more you don't know. So little Billy took off coat and waistcoat, donned mask and glove and fencing shoes, and they had an assault of arms, as it is nobly called in French, and in which poor little Billy came off very badly. The German pole fenced wildly but well. Then it was the lad's turn, and he came off badly too. So then Taffy took up the foil and redeemed the honour of Great Britain as became a British hussar and a man of blood. For Taffy, by long and assiduous practice in the best school in Paris, and also by virtue of his native aptitudes, was a match for any maître d'armes in the whole French army, and Svengali got what for. And when it was time to give up play and settle down to work, others dropped in. French, English, Swiss, German, American, Greek. Curtains were drawn and shutters opened. The studio was flooded with light, and the afternoon was healthily spent in athletic and gymnastic exercises till dinner-time. But little Billy, 
who had had enough of fencing and gymnastics for the day amused himself by filling up with black and white and red chalk strokes the outline of trilby's foot on the wall lest he should forget his fresh vision of it which was still to him as the thing itself an absolute reality born of a mere glance a mere chance a happy caprice End of part two, part first.